0: Hey, podcast listeners, thanks again for tuning in. We're excited on this one. We actually got to sit down with Mark and Steve with XO Mountain Gear and kind of talk a bunch of diversity on camping styles for elk hunting, whether it's a base camp, spike camp, bivy camp, or just for us being mobile as possible. Steve and Mark had a few questions, and it was really fun to kind of chat about it and go through our thought process and what we do preparing for season. And uh yeah, hope you guys are enjoying these podcasts. We've got more. We're doing some beers with Born and Raised on our YouTube live that we'll be pulling and, and dumping the audio here as well. So if you miss that on our YouTube channel, you'll be able to tune in and listen to that. And also, we just want to thank Onex Hunt for the support of the podcast. Without this support, we couldn't bring this these podcasts to you. So if you guys are in need of mapping tools, go check out Onyx Hunt app. You can enter a promo code BRO in when you check out and you get 20% off and that would mean the world to us to save you a few bucks. Also, while we're on the topic of EXO, people have been asking about the Born and Raised Edition packs from EXO. Well, good news is in 2020 they're going to be available live on their website go to our website bornraisedoutdoors.com and click hunting gear in the shop section and it'll take you straight there you guys can check it out we've got a couple unique things about the 4800 that we changed on it and are really excited to bring that to you so with that i'll let you listen away
1: Welcome to the Born and Raised audio experience, presented by Onyx. Cody, Trent, welcome back to the Huntback Hunter podcast. How's it going, fellas?
0: Awesome. Yeah, this podcast. Yeah, it's a nice sunny day here out in Oregon. Yeah, it's too far away from September, but you know.
1: Yeah, I don't. I'm not sure when this one's coming out, but as we record it, we're we're almost into March, so it's pretty much planning phase and all that so we're not we're not too close to season unfortunately but yeah the topic today is just kind of I thought it'd be fun for the four of us uh, Steve and I and you two to kind of talk about the different approaches types of camping for elk hunts Um, you know kind of from a high level and just really chat through it because we've we've done it all essentially. And it's a question that comes up a lot. Like, should I base camp? Should I pack in with gear on my back? Like what, how should we approach this? And there's no one right answer. Cause it's going to vary. Um, but I thought it'd just be kind of fun to talk through it. So, I mean, I, I guess I see this from a super high level with kind of three different approaches. So you got kind of a, a roadside camp called a base camp that could be from a truck, a camper, a tent at a trailhead, whatever. You got the guys who kind of do like a backcountry base camp. Um so they're gonna pack in with all the gear they need for however many days, but when they get back there, they're kinda of setting up camp and then hunting from there. Uh and then you got the guys who kind of just hunt with camp on their back. So they're not setting up a base camp, whether it's at the road or in the backcountry, if you will. They're just hunting with camp on their back. Uh when the day ends, they set up camp. When the day begins, they pack it up and keep hunting.
2: You kind of
1: failed to mention the hotel camp where it's fully, fully established (laughs) with food, room (laughs) service.
2: I didn't, I didn't hear that. Yeah. Stock (laughs) mini bar. I'll take that option. Um,
1: how do so I guess I'd be just curious to know how you guys, how you guys have planned that in the past. Cause clearly you've done all the approaches you've hunt, have hunted many States with many different people who probably have different preferences, um, I know that for you guys, it's also a variable of, you can only take so much like true backpacking cause you're on the road for 60 days or whatever. But, um, what are kind of, what are some of the first things you guys consider when it comes to choosing between different approaches and how you approach a hunt logistically?
0: Yeah, I think the, the first thing that jumps out is just kind of the area and what it's going to dictate. If it, if it's a roaded area and there's the, the density of roads are high, that's going to tend to definitely drive to a base camp type location where you can cover lots of ground via vehicle, uh, road bugle, glass, that type of country versus, um, okay, this is a roadless area and there's limited access points. That's going to dive into more on like a bibby Bibi style camp on your back uh, approach. Um, so it's really kind of just the, uh, the area that's going to dictate that. I think
2: there people as well. Yeah, I think, pressure. <clears throat> I think it's, uh, if you've watched a lot of our stuff and I get this question all the time in the emails is, is, uh, what's the difference? Should I do this? Should I biddy hunt? Should I, whatever. Um, and it, it's, if you notice a lot of our hunts, when we first started out, we were going, I don't know, six, seven miles a lot of times. And I don't think we've been hardly, you know, that, that far. Lately, we are trying to be super mobile where it kind of gets in exactly what we're talking about. We've got those canvas cutters and we throw those down underneath the pickup for, you know, at night stuff at the trailhead or wherever we're hunting just to, just to test spots to hunt and it'll go in pack for a day, maybe. I mean, without doing the essential, you know, sleeping bag and all that stuff, I mean, you can pack pretty light and cover a lot of ground in a day. And find out what you need to know so i I think it's just who you have going with you and and as well as as well as terrain and and what your plan is on the hunt do
3: you guys have a a preference say pretend you're you know living in the the midwest and you're going out on your first elk hunt what would be your top choice so you could dictate the country that you're going to choose
0: i i mean i think for someone like new to it i i think get your feet wet and like basically have all three, uh, opportunities available, you know, you get a bad storm and you're going to get stuck, uh, you know, trying to get dried out or everything like that at base camp, having that there is going to be really handy if you just have backpacking stuff and you don't have the ability to, to get to a, a location that you can hang stuff up, dry things out, get everything like you would, you'd kind of be doing yourself a uh, disjustice just and disservice to yourself on that trip. So, I mean, I would encourage yourself to not just get stuck in the route. Like I'm going on a backpack trip and that's all it's going to be, or I'm just going to hunt on a base camp. Um, I think, you know, as, as what I've seen is you have expectations of what it's going to be. And it always seems to change. Like our, our big thing, I think we, or is like that ever evolving, we have a base camp. With a little trailer that's with a little easy up that's super easy and, and, uh, you know, quick and mobile. Our, our big thing, I think is being mobile in the fact, whether it is with the backpack on your back or from your truck. So, hmm. um, <clears throat> I think don't rule out, um, opportunities based on what you desire, but being flexible and like willing to, to make shifts from your
1: original plan. So don't,
2: don't rule out the hotel with the mini bar. It's possible.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's possible. <clears throat> That's a really good point Cody on staying mobile even when you maybe you are hunting out of the truck, maybe you do have a base camp at a roadside or trailhead whatever, but instead of like going all out and setting up, you know, some elaborate base camp and giant wall tents and, you know, getting you know, spending a lot of time to set up, which also then takes a lot of time to tear down. Maybe you hunt from a base camp, but you still keep kind of that minimalist mindset in a way to where you can hunt from that area for two or three days. And if you need to drive to the other part of the unit or cover some ground on the roads, it's still really easy to get camp up and down and be moving. So even from a base camp, staying mobile, keeping um, simplicity in mind, I think is a really good point there.
0: Yeah, for sure. I, th- I think that's probably, I mean, and there is something nice about like having a big elk camp, right. Yeah. And having a wall tent and a uh, cooking area and all that. And there's some, it, but it, i would say that it detracts from the hunting itself and it's turned somewhat into the camping trip um so you know it just depends on what you want out of the hunt there's nothing wrong with that at all like i um it this that times enjoyable as much as trying to kill an elk um but i will say the more creature comforts that you have the more likely you'll be like oh let's head back to camp versus just you know end up where you end up so Um, it, it can be a crutch to having a big, nice,
3: luxurious camp. Yeah. Yeah. Hard Trent to get out of bed in the morning with (laughs) all the whiskey the night before.
2: (laughs) hundred percent of the time. That's why the mini bar is pretty, pretty good. No, I I just, um, excuse me. I'm sorry. I just think so like Cody and Steve, you guys both kind of taught me a little bit about, um, you know, if you do the whole camp on your back thing, whether it's one day or whether it's eight days, the only thing that deciphers that is food. I mean, that's honestly, that's the only extra weight you're taking. If you're going to go in one day, you still have to have all the stuff to stay overnight and all that. So, I mean, I would definitely be mindful of that, of okay, what are we looking for? Are we looking to just go and look for elk, or are we looking for, okay, we're going to head clear back into this spot, and we're going to stay for a while. And I think that's a lot A lot of people they go into spots, and they're just going to be like, well, I've been researching for the last 11 months, and I found this spot and I I talked to a lot of people. We just got done with the shows with the sports shows and, and, and having talked to a lot of people, I talked to a bunch of people that were like, yeah, man, I went into Colorado for 21 days and uh, man, I didn't even see an elk and I'm thinking, well, we did everything that you guys told us, you know, we did all the scouting, the e-scouting and stuff like that. But the problem that they, that they had is they weren't mobile. They didn't pick one more than one spot to go to. So they stayed in the same area they working their butts off Bivian back in there and stuff like that but they there wasn't any help there so they you know it's it's knowing i think knowing the times that you have to be mobile and you have to go okay tonight we're camping under the pickup everybody get your packs ready for the morning because we're going to head in for two days if we don't find what we want we're coming back we're going to go into the pickup again i mean it's just having that ability and it's and it's actually not hardly any more work to you know, have a canvas cutter or a easy up, like Cody was saying. It's really not always carry. We usually always carry an extra sleeping bag to have in a tote at the pickup. And that way we can, we can do exactly that and and be mobile and be able to bounce around.
1: Yeah. With the base camp, I think it's, you know, like you said, just having the flexibility, flexibility, versatility to go in even just for a quick overnighter. Cause if you're truly day hunting from a base camp, depending on obviously the terrain, the layout pressure, etc., it can be really difficult because you're you're potentially either wasting a lot of time or you're just not getting much rest. Where if you're in here for five days, if you actually want to be in terrain in shooting light, you're getting up super early, you're staying out late, you're getting back super late. It is interesting to think through the efficiency, I guess, of truly being quote unquote out there versus a base camp and just how you manage time.
2: My opinion, if you're going to have a base camp, you better be on the X. You had better be where the animals are every day and a short distance to be able to get to them. And you know what I mean? I mean, and I'm trying to think of anywhere that I've been that it's just like, okay, we are on them. We can stay here for three days. And I cannot really think of an area, you know, if we hadn't blown every single every single thing out of the canyon in the first Mm -hmm. day that I would be like, well, I want to be here tomorrow. I, it's, it's, I think that's kind of more of a, maybe, maybe if you, you know, you want to get into the whole horseback side of things and being mobile, then I think there's definitely applications there, but I don't know. The base camp thing for a a bow hunter kind of like that we hunt is, man, it's tough. You better be, you better be on the animals. and There'd be better be numbers of them.
0: Yeah. And I think, but, <clears throat> but with that said, a mobile base camp is a, you know, a scenario where you can literally most of the time, like if we decide we're going to pack up a move, it can be within 30 minutes, we're torn down, everything's loaded back in the trailer, away we go. And that side of it, I think it, is definitely, and especially in high road density areas, like, you're better off not to backpack in those areas and cover ground with the truck. And, um, you know, use, use the knowledge of sign and everything else to then hunt a dare area for the day and then move on to the next.
1: Do you always try and move at night? Like meaning, do you ever just like give up on the spot during the day, during light, daylight hours where you still technically could be hunting and move during the day? Or are you always trying to like, all right, the spot kind of looks like a bus, but let's go ahead and finish this day and then move overnight.
2: We used to, I mean, we used to be hardcore as far as, yeah, we take turns driving all night long, always hunt during the days and stuff. And as Cody's gotten older, uh, (laughs) I think that, uh, yeah, if it's not happening or what, we, I mean, a great example of this is the Arizona series that we did with Steve's hunt down there. It was, it was an amazing deal. We didn't stay overnight one time out and, you know, we never biddied out. Yeah. We had a, it's always just throwing the canvas cutters out by the truck or Trevor had a tent we put up yeah. a tent too a couple different times but it was just and like Cody was saying there were so many roads around that it didn't really benefit us to bivy into anywhere right there there was just you know you could you could there was a road within a few miles of pretty much everywhere we were and so you can day hunt that easy and that just gives you the mobility to just see what's there and we did bounce around a couple different times you know um, but we would usually do that, you know, kind of middle day in the afternoon or something after the morning hunt or whatnot. So, so, yeah, but I definitely back in the day, oh man, we would, yeah, we would be driving all night long to go clear across the state of Colorado to get to a trailhead to hike in five more miles and, and to see what was there. So yeah.
1: When you're using roads like that and making these quicker trips and not necessarily trying to go, you know, too deep into the back country for a longer period of time, I'm assuming you're almost in a way looking a lot less at access, meaning most guys, if they think, all right, I need to pack in here with everything on my back for five to seven days. One of the first things they're looking at is access. Like, where am I starting from, from the road? And how am I getting back to, you know, X point in the backcountry? for you guys? If you're doing these quick hunts, you're staying mobile on the road, you're just kind of sleeping in the canvas cutter, what have you. I'm assuming you're, you're looking for elk country yes but in terms of access you're not as particular because you're moving faster and lighter and trying to get into certain types of country quicker not necessarily go deeper does that make sense
0: yeah i know i i mean i think the biggest thing when we're in that mobile road country you're you're fishing for the biter, so you're you're gonna cover as much ground as easy as you can so whether it's on mountain bikes on you know, old closed off roads that cover the terrain, instead of like dropping down into a basin, we're going to hike out a main ridge, right? Like two miles out, two miles back or whatever it is. So we're, we look for those, the easiest access and the the fastest that we can cover a lot of country, um, whether that's by foot, like I said, mountain bikes, trucks, however that is. Um, that's the kind of stuff we're looking for. So it's, it's definitely not as like the harder, the harder places to get into, but how much can we cover a mass amount of country and spark off that biter, um, you know, bugling. So that's kind of how we approach it. I would say if we're, if we had that base camp mobile base camp type, uh, you're, you're definitely looking at that wide aspect versus deep.
1: I'm assuming since, uh, you're looking at how much cover country you can cover, not only it's boots or bikes, but also with the bugle. Does that tend to mean you're trying to stay higher on ridges just so you can get sound to carry further?
0: Yeah. I mean, we definitely try to stay out of Creek bottoms. I mean, if there's a trail going up a Creek bottom or a road going up a Creek bottom, we'd rather definitely be mid Ridge or up on top of the Ridge. Um, just because you can hear better and locate easier if I had a choice for sure, I would, I would, if there was two roads or two trails, I would take the upper one, um, for the most part.
1: I think one nice thing about this approach, call it, you know, road hunting, if you will, whether you're setting up a base camp or staying mobile on the roads is just by nature. If you want to, if you're only going to hunt from this type of situation, you don't have the gear requirements. Um, obviously we talked in the beginning about the flexibility of being able to backpack in, but if a guy's on a budget or he's getting started or what have you, like that's one thing to consider with this style of hunting from the roads and, you know, camping from your truck essentially, is you don't have to necessarily worry about having a, the greatest gear, but B, you don't have to have all the gear. Maybe you don't have a tent and you're not making that investment. So I could see why that's a good, um, good advantage to get started this way.
2: Oh, definitely. It's a good way to get your feet wet, you know, and, and all of us, I mean, I think everybody on this podcast has built our gear, you know, from, you know, just going out with dad back in the day or how, whatever that may have looked like to, to where we are now and to being able to actually stay back in, in, in places for longer periods of time. But yeah, I mean, if that is your, if that's your hindrance as far as. Oh, I don't. I don't think I have the gear to do that. Then don't. Then my my advice would be don't. Then you know, do whatever it takes. And I've always said, buy good, buy good boots, a tag, and a weapon, and that's all you need. I mean, you don't you don't have to have the nicest of stuff, but the boots are going to help you stay out there longer. And you 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 just go do it. You know,
1: Steve, let's flip to the complete opposite side of the spectrum um, and talk about hunting with camp on your back, which is something that you've done a ton of how, I guess, have you seen this change over time at all? Um, cause you've been doing it for a long time. Do you still feel like the advantages that you had in the beginning are still relevant now to hunting with that style? When does it make sense? Um, yeah, help us understand that type of approach.
3: Yeah, I definitely first started when, you know, I first started backpacking for elk was, was the, the backcountry base camp. So hike in there three miles, set up a tent, hunt from there. Um, and immediately I saw better hunting than, than I was experiencing hunting from the roads. Um, a lot of that had to do with the specific country I was in. There was just more elk there, but you had to get to the elk. You had to be three miles away from the road. Um, and then that kind of evolved into, you're still working hard, like you, every morning, every night, you're, you're either hiking from or hiking back to camp, um, and, and wasting a lot of energy that way. So that's where my hunting evolved to get my pack as light as possibly, um, as I could possibly get it. And then I just, I pack up every morning, I hunt, um, and, and, um, and then just sleep wherever you end up at the night. Um, hunting with, with Trent and Cody, uh, the last, uh, I guess it's been, we had two years in a row there. I, you know, in, in the past there, I hunted very slow, very methodical. Um, I was really hunting any elk. I mean, I, I still do in a sense of, you know, even if it was a spike that wasn't bugling, I wanted to kill that spike. Um, hunting anyway, with these guys really kind of opened my eyes to, to how efficient you can be, um, by, by just covering a lot of country. Um, and, and I've adapted the last couple of years to, I still backpack hunt. I still I will always have camp on my back cause it's, um, realistically I'm talking five, six pounds is the difference between being able to stay out there that night or not for me, um, with a, with a bivy sack, a pad and a bag, um, everything else, water, filter, stove, clothes, um, food I've got with me, you know, you just throw an extra day of food in there if you think you're going to stay the night. Um, and so I've adapted to just finding, um, finding areas where i can cover a lot of country like uh when, when all three of us were hunting together here in idaho in, in 2018 the the couple times where we dropped uh, a rig off at, at point b and then drove back around and started at point a like to me that was so efficient where we basically left the truck and we're just side hilling through country moving through it quickly um and and just yeah covering as much country as possible throwing out bugles um one of the uh when we had paul uh Medell on last year he made a he basically made a statement that kind of uh, made a lot of sense to me was treating your, your bugle tube as your binoculars. Um, and, and using that to reach out and cover more country than, than you can see right in front of you. Um, and you kind of take those covering country and then just using your bugle tube to find elk. It's a very, very efficient way to hunt.
2: Yes. Yeah, yeah. Especially in September. I mean, not just, yeah yep <laughs> I, and i think you touched on a, i think you touched on a pretty good topic there as far as just the way that we hunt the way that you've kind of seen this doesn't like go for the guy that's chasing this 400 inch bull and it knows it's in this canyon and methodically i mean uh, the, the, those ways and this way that we that we hunt is totally different so i mean that could be a totally different setup you know
1: yes yeah i don't know they thought about the the pace of the hunt being dictated by these different approaches like i i clearly thought about the physical exertion of either packing in or packing out or being super mobile yada 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 but it's a really good point there what you mentioned steve on the actual pace of the hunting because i think if you're spending multiple days you know call it deep if you will and in elk country it probably does lend itself to being a little slower, a little more patient. You're kind of like spending so much time, hopefully in elk country um, or theoretically where the elk are at that it probably tends to be a slower pace of hunt and be more patient. Whereas if you know you're only in an area for a day or two and you're just looking for elk, you're gonna be covering ground. You're gonna be more aggressive. You're just gonna keep searching. Essentially, So that's a really interesting point, how these different styles, um, can affect the pace of the hunt itself.
3: Yeah. For like the, the area that, that Lenny and I used to hunt a lot together. Um, we, you didn't want to spook the elk out of the Canyon because if, if you spooked them out, that means they went up and over and down, you know, another 2000, 3000 feet away from your vehicle. Um, so we, we were very conscientious about hunting the wind, moving slowly, um, it was, you know, it was very, very methodical, like playing chess where, um, you know, kind of uh, this other country style is more like just coming in with the wrecking ball and, and uh, you're either going to kill them or you're not, but you're, you're mobile. And if you blow it up, you just move, you know, you hike a mile back to your rig, drive down the road and, and hunt new country the next day. It's extremely effective.
1: Yeah. And th- I mean, that goes back to the point of, do you know where elk are at or are you looking for elk? Where you and Lenny were going into, you knew elk were in that canyon. You can spend time in there. You're not looking for them. They're there. It's just a matter of making that opportunity happen, getting in bow range, etc. Um, if you're Cody and Trent, you guys are going to a new place, new state. You're not sure where elk are at. You're just going to have to cover more ground to go find them.
0: Yeah, absolutely. No, and I think that, like, for us, it's always... we we'd almost rather hunt new country every year or new, you know, because of that adventure what's over the next ridge you Yeah. The unknown. yeah. One versus, one. versus going, I know exactly where the elk are. Cause then you think, you know, where they're at and things change and pressure or, you know, timber harvest or wildfire, like things change around and then you have all your eggs in that basket and then you're like oh no what then you have these you had these expectations that it was going to be good then next thing you know the morale is a little bit lower and i feel like when we go to a new spot it's all new the excitement level's high
1: and here we go for either of you guys i'm curious where you would make the case for this middle ground call it that backcountry base camp if you will but you're you're still essentially packing in you got multiple days of food multiple days of gear instead of hunting with camp on your back you're essentially setting up like okay at least for the next two nights or whatever like let's just set camp here and then let's hunt you know we can go this direction one day that direction another day would you recommend that just basically if you feel like you found a good spot where you can cover the country or you know when would you um, consider taking that approach
2: yeah i would definitely say excuse me i would definitely say like I don't know. We, we usually hunt in a pretty darn big group and we've had times like in Colorado before where you don't know how the other group is doing. So we'll both hike into a spot and then we'll just be like, okay, this is base camp. We're all going to come back here tonight, you know, pin, on if someone kills something and we'll have to, you know, figure that out as, as we go. But, um, yeah, so that's when we would have like a backcountry base camp. And so we, and it, whether, where we had in uh, Colorado at this, at the time that I'm talking was by a big lake. It was really cool. Uh, we brought some fishing poles and so we were able to fish at the lake too. And, and it was just a neat, like a neat, neat camp. And, uh, that's what we did. So. Every night. And that was the fun of it is to get back and then hear the other team's story, how they did that night. Right. Know? And, and two,
0: that place in particular had like four different mountain, mountain ranges. You could hunt from one, that spot. They were really close. Yeah. You're basically, you know, you, you could hunt that range for a day, but to stay up there two or three days and bibby hunt, it's not, it's small enough that you're kind of out of that country anyway. So you kind of, you know, we're going to trace back over your tracks anyways so you could kind of use that. So it, it, I would say that terrain would kind of dictate whether we're going to go bivy or we're going to spike camp. But needless to say, we've definitely quote unquote been on a bivy hunt. And then we wake up in the morning, we hear a bull bugle, and we leave our tents and hunt all day. And next, you know, we come back to that same camp. I mean, we've had basically every year, like we'll end up sleeping in the same spot once or twice. It seems yeah. like on a, on a week long trip just based on what the elk are doing. And it's like, you're right there and it's not too much extra work. So, and and water too, I would say is going to be the other factor. Like Mm -hmm. if you're an area with little water and you you basically have, you know, it's going to dictate where your movements are going to be. It might be behoove you to do a base camp near near a water
1: source. Cody or Trent, do you guys ever cover country for a day, not have an encounter, but feel like there's elk there and ever go back to it? Or pretty much if you're in country for a day and you don't get an opportunity or like actually hear bugles or that type of thing, would you ever go back? I'm thinking about guys who maybe are doing this backcountry base camp and they're like, you know, they go out for the day and they don't have an encounter. Maybe they hear just like one bull bugle. Like they they basically have like yeah, there could be something here, but it's not on, right? Like they're not in it. Right. Do right. they go back to like, when do you stay patient with that? When do you just move on? Can you guys think of um, a story or scenario that relates to that?
2: Yeah, I, I think so. So our style and a lot of people listening probably are pretty familiar. Our style is cover ground, just like Steve was saying, cover ground. And in a day, we usually cover anywhere from probably seven or eight to 15 miles in a day. And, um, and that's never running nothing like that. We're just always constantly moving all day long and hunting. And in that daytime, I mean, we've, we've been around elk enough in the past to where we can get a pretty good idea of, okay, is this a place that we want to put our eggs in this basket? Or do we want to just, you know, tuck tail head out and like Steve said, go a few miles down the road. I mean, go six hours across the state. What do we want to do, uh, to go find elk? and um I, I can think of a couple times where we were just like okay yeah we didn't get into them today but like I said we usually have groups of two different groups usually a lot of times and so we just kind of combine our information of okay did you how many what did you guys feel today was it good was it good enough to stay so we'll definitely do that and evaluate it back in the day we didn't we used to be we're all in we stayed there and that's where we hunted And I think I think the more um, the more Knowledge that we get and the more experiences that we have, we're kind of a little bit better about seeing, okay, yeah, maybe, maybe this is a spot that we should milk it out and try to stay. There are some really good bulls in there or something like that and the feed it for herds or now let's bail and let's go just look for greener, a little bit greener grass.
0: And, and two, we've understood like elk are somewhat secular as to their movements and. Uh, it seems like they'll be on a, you know, a two to four to five day cycle and they'll kind of come back through there and, you know, you're in a bunch of day old sign or two day old sign or a week old sign. It's like, they're going to be back in here sooner than later. We've definitely had cases more probably of the latter of being, it was crazy rep fest that day or that night. And we're like, okay, tomorrow it's on and gone in there and ghost town. And you're like, what happened? They literally vanished overnight. And next thing you know, in two days later, you come back through that area and it's lights out again. Um, so, I mean, it's and it's to the other side of that. It's going to dictate what kind of pressures around. Yeah. You. you know, are you bumping into people or are you minimal pressure? This minimal pressure, um, you know, and there's a lot of fresh sign and maybe a cow hasn't been in heat yet. You're early in the season. You might spend two or three days in that area waiting for it to turn
1: on. What do you, do you have any idea what contributes to that kind of, that cycle, if you will, that cyclical pattern, that two to four day, any understanding of like what, what drives elk to behave in that way or move around in that type of cycle?
2: It's different. I think, I don't know. I see it in Roosevelt country a lot. You know, it's definitely where we kind of got that whole motto from, I would say, but yeah, it's totally different because um, uh rocky mountain elk it seems like they make a little bit bigger cycle to me whereas roosevelts they have about i don't know usually it's a one to two mile range and that's it whereas rockies they'll go you know they'll winter in totally different places than they summer so they're moving constantly and um they're maybe a little less predictable but it just goes from i mean there's just a few things. If you, if you break it all down and look at it, elk have got to have, you know, kind of openings and stuff. They got to have food, they got to have water. So if you can get in between those in between those sources of where they have to be and they have to bed, you know, in some sort of a semi flat spot If you can figure that out and kind of just map something like that, you know, and if you fear still covering ground, and if there's elk around, you're going to, you're going to find them.
0: Yeah. I think, uh, one takeaway, just talking about elk movements, um, Last year when we went to New Mexico and helped our buddy Rob, he'd been hunting this area for eight days and he, he had it pretty well dialed. Like in the mornings are right here. It's been crazy rut fast. And he's like, but in the evenings, I just haven't got into them and understanding the movements to bedding ground. And so you could come into an area and it's like tore up with fresh sign from that morning. And you know, you're in there in the evening. And you've only hunted that area maybe two afternoons, but you haven't been there in the morning. Understanding that the movement that they come down there at night, they're feeding through the night and they're moving off of there in the morning. Um, you know that's part of that cycle from feeding to bedding and knowing. Okay, well they're going to be up the mountain over there where they're going to bed in that timber, um, and you know in the evening that's where or the afternoon that's where we need to head instead of going down to the lower flats for the evening hunt. It's being up in that higher, you know, wherever that betting type opportunity is gonna be.
2: So and in that scenario he didn't we asked him, I he said, Hey Rob, did you stay with the elk? You know? It's like no, dude, I was back at the camp eating lunch, man. Why would I you know <laughs> why would I follow out? That was yeah, you know, it's you you have to kill him in the morning or night. That's the rule, right? And so that's where it's like following them. I mean, we will definitely, a lot of times, if we can hear them, we won't even mess with them. We will just follow them where they're going to go because they're going to bed at some point. And uh, that's, I mean, that's, that's honestly all we do for hunting is we follow elk until they get in a spot where we think that we can have the advantage of trying to kill one. So yeah, don't be afraid to stay out there all day long. I mean, a base camp, all these things that we're talking about, it's awesome. But if you don't utilize the reason that you're out there, then it's all for naught sometimes.
1: I mean, I can't overstate the importance of what you just said, Trent, just from my, I, from my own experience. And I feel like making a ton of mistakes in the past where I've, I've been on elk in the morning that are super vocal and I've tried really hard to make something happen, but they were on, they had their agenda. Like they were yeah. moving in a direction yep. they were going and, you know, years later and I, I realized now how smart it would be just to stay with them while they're talking to not try and force it, to not try and call them back from where they're already wanting to go and essentially just follow them while they're talking, stay with them and wait until things settle down and then try and be super strategic. So as a a guy who's made that mistake too many times, I just want to make sure that listeners hear and understand the importance (laughs) of that because I've blown it too many times.
2: Oh, man.
1: What changes for you guys in terms of making these decisions? We've talked obviously about, you know, it's based on terrain and access and how much time you have, familiar with the area, yada, yada, yada. But what about time of year, um, even in September? What, do you lean more one way early September versus you do late September versus how you approach these strategies?
2: We don't. We do the same thing from opening day till the last closing light on the last day of season. We, we have found, I mean, Cody said it earlier, we're looking for a biter. So we're just looking for that elk that wants to play our game. And right, wrong, or indifferent, we're dumb enough to cover a ton of miles in order to find that elk rather than, like I was talking about earlier, like if you know there's a big bull or whatever you're targeting in this canyon, maybe maybe be more a little methodical about it. Maybe do like Steve's approach when they didn't want to blow them out because they'd have to chase them. Three thousand feet, five miles away. Maybe let's be a little bit more methodical about this. And so and there's elk hunting. That's I think that's what's so cool about it, is there's so many different approaches to it. You can hunt anyway. I mean, it's crazy. There's a lot of people out there that don't even carry a bugle or, or a cow call. That's just nuts to us, but they're successful hunters and they kill something every year. So it's just the way that we hunt. Um, yeah, it, it just, I forgot the question. I don't know. I was rambling probably too much, but <laughs>
3: what was it, Cody? He's
0: just talking about the factors, deciding about camps early to late. I would say one factor, and it doesn't matter what time of the the month of September is just looking at the weather forecast and kind of understanding what you're getting yourselves into, because if you go in knowing it's going to rain for six days straight on a bivy hunt, mm-hmm. you're, you know, it's going to change your gear. It's going to, you know, that's where maybe the spike camp not packing in a teepee with a stove, whiskey, he's gonna, whiskey, he's going to come into play versus uh, you know, just taking a bibby sack and not even worrying about a tent a lot of times and just rolling from there. So I, I think the the weather would so much more dictate some styles um on that. So
1: Steve, you mentioned that uh you used to do more of the backcountry base camp type thing and then move towards being lighter and just having camp on your back. What are some of the gear decisions that changed? Um, because it's easy to think, oh well, this is just backpacking gear, backpacking gears, backpacking gear, but you realize pretty quickly if you're packing in and like setting up camp in the backcountry for five or six days, that's one thing. But if you're actually setting up, tearing down every night, every morning, not only from a weight perspective, but efficiency and how quick that happens Um, there's a lot to think through there. So what are some of the lessons that you've learned in the ways that your gear has changed over the years because you're hunting with camp on your back and not just backpacking in with five days of gear and setting up camp?
3: Yeah. I mean, I think, um, backpacking is definitely continuing to evolve and get lighter and lighter, easier to use. Um, I think one that jumps out immediately to me was, um, like the baby sack and tarp situation. Um, one thing that I really liked about is the lack of condensation in the morning. Um uh, so you're not packing up a soaking wet tent um mm. in general. Obviously you have nights where you're gonna get condensation no matter what. But um that that was something that's really nice. That, that tarp has so much ventilation that it's pretty much dry and you just throw it in your pack and, and go. Um I think it's just conscious decisions on, on um you have to sacrifice certain creature comforts for sure. You're not taking a chair with you, um, you're not packing a lot of extra weight. I think the, the biggest one for me, and I'm finally starting to get it pretty dialed in, is food. Um, if you're going for more than three days and you, you miscalculate how much you're going to need, uh, one way or the other, that that can cost you a lot. So, getting um, paying attention to your calories, actually counting the calories, making sure you're you know right around three to four thousand calories per day, um, that one's super important. So.
2: Um, yeah, I think like, you don't have to <laughs> borrow Trans Mountain how, or mountain house and I never ramen. I never once barred your mountain house Just this, is, this has oh. been a this has been a number of times for <laughs> Yeah, and then whiskey at night water filters the during the day water filters yeah you were there Mark you were there Yeah. <laughs> can
3: I get a witness was, there was a couple times it was convenient to have you around that's for sure
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, I was, I was going to go for something just, a little different there yeah. but thanks strapped stuff. hanging off the side of the appreciate pack. that
1: yeah.
2: <laughs> maybe a big or tarp to sleep on because it was pouring down rain, and you had this stinking little tiny flappy thing. <laughs>
3: yeah, that, that was the exception for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: mm-hmm. One thing I didn't used to think about, Steve, till I started hanging around you was just the footprint of a shelter. Yeah. Um, right. So, not only like what style of shelter, but basically how much space does it take up? Because if, if you're hunting with camp on your back, you can't always find a great spot, right? I mean, finding a flat spot might be difficult to do, so the smaller the footprint of your shelter, the easier it's gonna be to, okay, yeah, we can pitch yeah. camp here tonight.
3: It's another area where I, I love the, the tarp-bivy sack combo, cause I can, you know, uh, sleep in a trail, sleep in a deer bed, elk bed, um, you can just sleep a lot more places versus if you have a freestanding tent, um, you you're, you need a four foot by eight foot area for most tents to to pitch that thing and have it be level and pitch right. So. Um, yeah, having, having a, a small footprint for your tent and, and, or a bivy sack and, and then a tarp you can, you know, hang just about anywhere using a trekking pole and sticks and rocks and all that stuff. So definitely something to consider. Um, and then just, um, it fits well, it's just my personal model, just keeping those things simple, um, so that it, it's not a ordeal to pack up in the morning. Uh, Trent touched on it a little bit earlier, um, even from base camp, but being packed up and ready the night before doing everything you can prior so that when you wake up in the morning, um, you're ready to go. Uh, you know, what we've talked about it plenty of times is just literally having water in your pot, ready to make coffee in the morning, just eliminating some of those little barriers that might slow you down, um, gaining every little bit of efficiency as you can. So, um, or. Sometimes you can just sleep in and, and kill an elk at noon too. That works that
2: works well. Bingo. What's wrong with <laughs> Bingo. <it? laughs>
3: I think the
0: biggest thing, especially for someone new coming into this, is it's it doesn't matter if you're gonna base camp, backcountry, base camp, or bivy camp. Like all three of them are pretty intimidating in its own its own facet. It's just it's like embrace the adventure or like overcome the adversity and just like enjoy that aspect of it. Cause you're going to be faced with some things that you probably aren't expecting. And don't let, you know, don't focus so much on, I don't have this gear. I don't have this, or like focus on the positive sides. Like, okay, I got a week's vacation. I got an elk tag in my pocket. Let's go have some fun and get it done and not like get so bogged down in the details that you get like this, you know, big wall, blurred vision and you feel like you, you, there's nowhere you can go or do so.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a good summary because in the end we sit here, talk about different approaches and even the three different approaches, there's no, in a lot of ways there's no clean lines, right? Like we talked about it, being able to adapt, being able to do all of them ideally and being able to change on the fly is the solution. It's not that one of them's better than the other per se
0: we do pretty much all three every year yeah. i mean a blend of them and sometimes the hotel with the minibar and sometimes the hotel Not gonna <laughs> lie. it is trent's quest and goal to find the best local bar with a hamburger that you can get an egg on it in yep. every place we yep. be yep.
2: <laughs> great success boys
1: i think lonnie might have been able to help you with that if you would have asked trent
2: <laughs> Dang it. I oh.
1: can't say the name of the place, but I think uh, Lonnie would have been see. able to help yeah, you. Out. lucky
2: Lonnie. <laughs> that, Anybody that, that knows Lonnie probably knows exactly where we're talking. <laughs> That's four. It's a heavy, heavy hand. I love uh, that. It yeah. yeah, sing times. his heart
3: out, too. Yeah. I've already said too much. All right.
1: Yeah, all right, we got to stop. We got to stop right
3: there. Mark, who's, uh, what's Chad's last name this morning we had on our podcast? Uh, Right. We did a podcast this morning with a guy named Chad Wright, former Navy SEAL. Um, and it just kind of hits to this, that we were talking about adventure. He, it was the, it's a beautiful quote. He said true adventure is when the most, most likely outcome is failure. Um, I thought that was so friggin' awesome, but I I think it's a, um, in in terms of like picking camp and how you want to hunt, I think you can take that quote and kind of like, odds are, you know, what's harvest stats with a bow, 15%, so you got an 85% chance of failure. Like pick however you want to hunt and I think the most important thing is just enjoy the process along the way and and not be so focused on, you know, killing an elk but just having fun doing the whole thing. So whether you're backpacking or car camping or whatever, just have fun, enjoy it, enjoy your time in the woods and and with family
1: and friends and man, rail hunting so
0: it's definitely about the journey not the destination
1: yeah guys at this uh at this point in time for you guys i know that you're still planning for what's coming next fall but i'm sure guys are curious as we talk to you and wanting to hear more about what you may be able to share for 2020 so cody any any information you can share about what's coming for born and raised in 2020 this fall
0: I think the best part. Trent came in the office. Today and goes, "What do you think about it? What do you What do you want to do for elk season this year?" <laughs> uh, <laughs> the mini bar. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
2: our
0: our biggest thing right now is like we do have some opportunities. We've got a lot of points in a lot of places, and some of that's going to kind of play out to whatever it is, and then we kind of pick up the over-the-counter uh, possibilities from there. Um, definitely going to spend the the month of September chasing elk you'll probably find us in October with a gun or our hand chasing elk because that was kind of a new facet for us that we really enjoyed last year. Just, and I think that kind of came down to something new, like mm-hmm. the challenge was new, it was different. Um, so we'll be doing that and, uh, yeah. Well, anywhere we can get a tag, to we'll go find an elk with any kind of tag, tag. T- Trent's, uh, really striving to be a muzzleloader hunter too.
1: Uh, oh, nice. Go Trent. Trent.
2: Yeah. I should drive to Mexico this year. I have zero points. Uh, <laughs> Mexico <laughs> has zero points. Yeah. Correct. And, uh, Colorado has zero points too. So I'm going to strive to be my muzzleloader, my new muzzleloader hunter, but, uh, it's going to take a lot of luck. Yeah. The that's the one thing i think that
0: we definitely have kind of opened our eyes to if we just try to uh, hunt everywhere in september you're somewhat limited to the 30 days in the month and there's a lot of seasons in a lot of states all over the west with elk seasons going on in multiple months so there's a lot of opportunity that we've never even tapped into so
2: we're just looking to expand that as well so Alaska's still a big goal of mine ours i think all yeah. of ours Steve's going to test this next year. So Mark, I hope you're ready.
1: Let's do it. What <laughs> what species, Trent? Are you looking to just go up there for a couple?
2: Moose. Uh, moose. No, I've never been a moose guy. I want to do a blacktail hunt and I want to do the fishing side of things too. It just, I don't know. It just sounds so much fun. I think a lot of people that see our content have no idea that we're actually hardcore big time fishermen. Okay. I, did, <laughs> yeah, I don't know if those two words go with our fishing <laughs> credentials. But, at the same but time, you like to fish. Hardcore, <laughs> yeah. But we, but we left the fish as well. It just, like Steve was saying, man, it's the adventure. Yeah, I'm not going to go as far as not knowing if I'm going to live or not, if that's adventure, but it's, it's, uh, Alaska definitely, I think has that pull for everybody that's been, uh, doing kind of the same things that we do for, for a long period of time. And I think that's kind of the holy grail things. So one of these days we're going to get up there and experience some adventure. How about that?
1: Yeah. Uh, cool. Guys, thanks so much for the time. Um, I'm sure most folks know where to find you, and we'll be sure to add some links to the show notes as well. But, uh, yeah, best of luck this year. Can't wait to see what it holds for you guys.
0: Likewise. Thank you guys so much. Just want to thank you again for tuning in, listening to the Born and Raised Audio Experience. Really appreciate your time and your ears. Uh, If we brought any value today, if you could do us one favor, just take a screenshot of this podcast and share it with your buddy or post on social. It would mean the world to us. And, and two, if, if you could leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks again for listening. Stay tuned for more.